Thank you, brothers, for sharing. We appreciate that so much. As you stand in this room today, would you hear the word of the Lord from the book of Ruth? We begin a new teaching series today in Ruth. Hear the word from Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. The Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. The Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Let's say that together. The Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. Our good and our holy God, we thank you for this day. We are grateful for an opportunity to worship in this house. We pray, Father God, that you would speak to our hearts, speak in such a way that our souls would hear. Help us to hear afresh that you have visited us, your people, and that you have given us the bread of life. Lord, give us a deep hunger to find all of our life's hopes and dreams fulfilled in him. We pray this in all our prayers in his sweet and holy name. And we say together, amen and amen. Please be seated. Today on this Sunday where we blend our Spanish and English services, we begin a new teaching series on the book of Ruth. This series will take us through the month of October. Today we begin with an immigration story, if you will. Today the theme is very straightforward and hopeful. When you hear that the Lord has visited his people by giving bread, you must set out. This is the great rumor on the wind that the Lord has visited his people by giving bread. And it should cause us to move. All those who hunger for life, it should cause us to move, to get up, and to move. As we begin this series, we look today at immigration and immigry spirituality. Both the act of immigration and what it teaches us, not just about life as it is on this earth, but about how we live in this world as it is, longing for the world to come. How we feel as followers of Jesus the Christ, who has called us to pray for the will of heaven to be done on the earth. In the opening scenes of this book, we have, we have a man, he's described in verse 1, as a certain man of Bethlehem. He has a wife named Naomi, and they have two sons and life begins to fall apart in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread, and bread becomes scarce, and the rain dries up in Bethlehem, and, and so this man has a decision to make. What will he do? What will he do? And so he packs his bags, his wife and his sons. And they head for the land of Moab because they believe in the land of Moab there will be an opportunity to live 
and move and, and have some beings. So they get up and they go to Moab. Moab was settled by descendants of Abraham too. They thought maybe, just maybe, in Moab they would find some kindness. They would find a meal. They would find shelter. They would find a future. They would find a hope. So they packed up and they left and they left for Moab. And when they got there, indeed, they found some sustenance and they found a future and these boys found wives in Moab and they began to settle down. They began to make a home. And then tragedy struck twice like lightning burning down a forest and that certain man of Bethlehem died and the boys died and famine hit Moab. And what you had left was a small group of survivors, a mother and two daughter-in-laws. Can you imagine the social dynamics? Can you imagine the pressures? Can you imagine all of, all of the, the, the angst and anxiety that went with the survivors being a mother and two daughter-in-laws? Certainly you can imagine this. And with little hope... Mama heads out, and the girls begin to follow, but she has this very hard-edged, practical love, and she looks at Orpah and Ruth, and she says to them, it would be far better for you if you just stayed here. Your future hopes would be brighter if you just stayed here. Let me go on this journey by myself, for my life is bitter enough. I don't want to drag you down with me. Girls, it would be better for you if you just stayed here. And Orpah, the practical one, heeded her advice, and she stayed. Indeed, she stayed. But Ruth, passionate, from her heart and from her lips, she spoke words beginning in verse 16 that have been used in weddings ever since that day, completely out of context, but beautiful nonetheless. And she looks at her mother-in-law, and she says, Entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. The house of bread. And that ends our text for today. As we look at it together, as we look at it carefully, let's just begin with this raw physical act that took place in the world. Let's talk for a moment about immigration and why. Why did they leave and go the first time? Why did they leave and come back the second time? Why, oh, why did they take these journeys? Well, if you can boil all the reasons down and distill it to one, I think there would be this reason. That the pain of staying exceeded the pain of leaving. Each time there was a price tag on the leaving. But each time they left and they moved, they waited out like this, that the pain and the insecurity and the hurt of, of staying is far heavier than the pain 
of setting out. And so they got up and they left to make a new way in a different place. To understand this, to make sense of this, we have to have what I call a Genesis 1 and a Genesis 3 perspective on life in this earth. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are these great narratives that paint a picture of life as God would have it. Life as God would have humans experience it on this earth. In the Genesis 1 and 2 creation stories, you have a story where a benevolent God makes people and he declares it good. And those people experience life experiencing these things. They had food to eat. They had shelter. They had clothing. They had friendship and mutuality and, and a relationship one to another. They had pleasure. Some of those trees in the garden were just beautiful and they smelled good. The flowers did. No practical purpose, but beautiful. There was pleasure. There was rest. God made the Sabbath and called it good. And, and, and there was rest and refreshment. And above all, there was a relationship between creation and a creator. There was fellowship with God, with the one who made all things and for whom all things were made. And Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 gives us a picture of life as God would have it lived. And then in Genesis 3, the creation looked at the creator and said, Thanks, but no thanks. We'll have it on our own terms henceforth. The big theological word for that is called sin. And sin marred and touched every single aspect of life as God would have it. The food on the table, the shelter that people dwelled in, the relationships they had between each other, purpose for life, meaningful work, and the relationship that they had with God was all touched by human rebellion and has been ever since. Cornelius Plantinga said that sin is the vandalism of the shalom of God. Shalom is life as God would have it. And our rebellion against God has vandalized Life as God would have it. And individually and systematically, we have worked against life as God would have it. And the order of life that God put together became chaos. It's like an anthill. You used to have, you used to have those ant farms. You see the beautiful order of an anthill. Well, have you ever stepped on the top of one? Those ants just go every which direction and it's chaotic. And the great shalom and order of creation was, was kicked over by our sin and we became chaotic. And henceforth and since then, it's been everybody going everywhere looking for hope and peace and life and dreams. Looking. Looking because things were stirred up. Looking because the wages of sin is death. Looking, looking, looking for life. And sometimes where you are, the pain of staying gets so heavy. And it's so much more pointed than the pain of leaving. In this world as it is, you have to pick up and you have to go. That's been part of the human story since Genesis 3. Israel dealt with this. Israel as immigrants and Israel receiving immigrants dealt with this. Karen Gonzalez said that the book of Ruth is one of the few places in the Bible where immigrants are treated just as God's law commands. One of the reasons they could get up and they could go is because they had heard that God had visited his people and that under his wings they could find 
refuge. They could go because God had already said in Leviticus verse 19, chapter 19, verses 33 and 34, when an immigrant lives in your land with you, you must not cheat them. Any immigrant who lives with you must be treated as if they were one of your citizens. You must love them as yourself because you were immigrants in the land of Egypt. I am your Lord. So from God's perspective, as God is Lord, you are immigrants, and you should love people as you want to be loved. So when we start off this story, we begin with just the raw facts of immigrants in the world. When Naomi heard the rumor on the wind that that was bread in Bethlehem because God visited his people. She became an immigrant. Now, as we're dealing with just the raw facts of immigration, let me say this. We live in a very different situation in time. And things are complex. Things are hard. And you and I may disagree on some fine points of policy. We may disagree on some provisions. We may disagree on how it's best worked out here and now and in our time. But let me say this, let me say this, and I believe it in my heart of hearts, one thing that we're not free to disagree on, one thing that we can't have different perspectives on, are people. Policy is an issue, and it's an important one, and we should think hard and, and reason hard and work hard on the right policies. But let me tell you what, until we get that figured out perfectly, we got to agree in lockstep on people. And every person you meet is a person for whom Christ died. Every person you meet is a person created in the image of God. Every person you meet is a person that we need to love as we want to be loved because God is the Lord. And because we are immigrants. We all are immigrants. I believe that the act of immigration serves as a powerful metaphor for what it feels like to be a follower of Jesus in this earth. And an authentic, real spirituality in this time, in this moment, is an immigrant spirituality. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against your soul. When Peter talked about life on this earth, life having been created by God, life vandalized by sin, he said very squarely, we're in the middle of a soul war. We're in the middle of a war for your soul, for your spirit. And there, there is, there's the world, the flesh, and the devil that wage war, and you're in the midst of that war. But you're not a combatant on the devil's side. You're, you're an immigrant who has a home. And that home is God. Jamie Smith, who is a philosopher at Calvin College, wrote an essay titled, An Immigrant Spirituality, Camus, Augustine, and the Hope for Home in an Age of Mass Migration. That essay was about as popular as Sports Illustrated. I feel sure all of you have read it. <laughs> It's a wonderful little piece. But since you probably haven't, let me share what I think are some of the best parts of it. 
Smith said, I believe that the image of the immigrant is the image for us as we follow God. And he said, look, conversion is not a rival. Baptism isn't a capsule that transports us to the end of the road. Conversion isn't the end of the road. It is the acquisition of a compass. The Christian isn't just a pilgrim, but a refugee, a migrant in search of refuge. The Christian life isn't just a pilgrimage, but the journey of immigration. We are not just pilgrims on a sacred march to a religious site. We are migrants. We are strangers, resident aliens en route to a patria, a homeland where we've never been to. God is the country we're looking for. That place where true consolation of our migration is found. We are immigrants headed toward a home we've never been to because God is our home. Let me paint this a little more boldly for you. A lot of you were raised here. And you were raised with hopes and dreams. And some of those hopes and dreams came through advertisements that you saw on television. Some of those hopes and dreams came through the guidance counselor at your high school. If you achieve this, if you meet her or him, if you win this award, if you have this house, if you're able to retire, quote unquote, comfortably, then you have made it. This is how we dealt with, this is how we dealt with the angst of being alive and this weird feeling that we weren't at home. We dealt with it by trying, by trying to recreate the things of the garden, by trying to make sure that clothes and food and shelter and sex and relationships and power, all that was, was, was sacked up and locked down. And here's the thing, a lot of you achieved every single last thing that guidance counselor told you you needed to succeed in, and you found out, and some of y'all are in college, and you're still listening to these voices, and that's okay, let me give you a little free primer on what's going to happen in the future. If you put your hopes on all this stuff, and then you lock it down, you're going to find that you're starving in a mansion in Moab. You're going to find that you're not in the garden, but you're outside it. But you've put all your hopes on the stuff of the garden sans God. I know this is the case. I've lived a measure of it, and I've heard a lot of y'all talk about it. David Brooks said he climbed the first mountain, the mountain that they told him he needed to climb, and he achieved everything they told him he needed to achieve. And at the top of that mountain of success, he found himself despondent. So he had to find a second mountain. Some of y'all have climbed to the top of the mountain, and you're starving. You're starving in a mansion in Moab. And the hope that's laid out before you is an immigrant hope. Because there's still a rumor on the wind 
in Moab. And the rumor is this, that God has visited his people with bread in Bethlehem. There's a rumor on the wind that just may save your life, just may save your soul. And the rumor on the wind in your mansion in Moab is that God has visited his people and there is bread in Bethlehem. And when you hear this in your heart of hearts, when you hear this in your soul, the only move you can make is to set out, is to get up and go. Because the other alternative is so bleak. The other alternative is just to make peace, is just to make peace with the things of the garden sands, the God of the garden. It's just to say things like this, oh, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. You ever heard that one? There's a Hebrew word for that one. (laughs) It's to say, as Camus said, possibly that what we need to do is find our happiness in pushing that rock up the hill only to watch it come down. Camus said, we must think of Sisyphus as happy. Must we? (laughs) No. That's a little bougie. It's kind of dumb. We must not think of him as happy because that was hell. Josh had a roommate in college. He came home drinking one night, and his fa- this was back in high school, and his father was going to discipline him really well. And he took him out to a job site where they were building their family home. And on one side of that job site was a gigantic stack of cinder blocks. And the father said to him, I want this moved over there. We need to replace where we're stacking the cinder blocks. I want you to move them from this side of the job site to the other side of the job site. I'll come back and, and check on you. And so that boy got to work moving those blocks One by one, two by two, he moved the gigantic blocks a block from here to there. It was going to become his home, but right now it's just a a pile of blocks. And he moved from one side to the other. And his dad showed up after he moved from one side to the other. And his father looked at him and he looked at those blocks and he said, you know what, I changed my mind, moving back. (laughs) Now he could have tried to find existential meaning in the moving of those blocks. Or he could have just recognized that he was being disciplined. (laughs) That his father was standing over against him. That his father was speaking about the futility of his labors. When you find yourself moving blocks around a yard, not building a house, you need to listen for the rumors on the wind. You need to listen to see if there's a better option. And the rumor on the wind, and we can call it the gospel, is that God has visited his people and there is bread in Bethlehem. If you keep this story moving forward, and we will keep this story moving forward, you will come to the very end and you'll find out that Ruth becomes an ancestor of David. And if you keep this story moving forward, you'll you'll hear how Joseph and Mary are to return to Bethlehem because they're of the house and the lineage of David. And you'll hear that there was a baby born in that city called Bethlehem who would live and rise and preach and teach and heal who would say I am the bread of life who would lay down his life for our atonement and take it up again for our victory I am the bread of life When you hear the rumor on the wind that there is bread in Bethlehem, you got to set out. So I'm looking around this room today. There have been people in this room who have been 
literal immigrants in this earth and there are people in this room who are starving in the mansions of Moab. And the lesson of movement is a good one for us. Because some of us, though we've lived in the same town our whole life, need to set out. We need to set out from the life that we know, the life that we've claimed, the life that we've said this is meaning, and we know in our heart of hearts this is not life. This is just moving blocks around on a job site. This is not life. But maybe, just maybe, life can be found in the one who came to Bethlehem. You see, if you have everything in the garden, but you don't have the God of the garden, what you've got is hell on earth. But he visited his people. He visited them with bread. And that bread gives life. Have you ever set out God has come for you in grace. Have you ever set out in faith? Have you ever come to the place where staying where you are spiritually, morally, existentially, if you will, is more painful than the leap of faith? God has come for you. He came in Bethlehem to the house of bread. Have you come to him? Will you today? We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And as we sing, we sing a hymn of commitment. Today, if you believe the Lord has led you to join this church, we invite you to come. Come because there's bread. Come because there's life in the house of God. If you have trusted the Lord in your heart of hearts, it would make that public today. We invite you to come. Come because there's bread in the house of the Lord. We invite you to come. Today as the Lord works in your life, today as we sing, we invite you to set out because the rumor is true. God has indeed visited his people and there is bread in the house of the Lord. Andy, will you lead us?